said? Amen. Amen. That's the Apostles' Creed. Uh, for those of you who may not be familiar with those words. Well, good morning and welcome to Grace Church. Uh, we have been involved in a series simply called Gospel-Shaped Living. And, and the whole goal of this series of messages is to show us how the gospel of God's grace is not just designed to save us and bring us into relationship with God. It is to do that. But it's also designed to shape our lives individually and corporately as the people of God. And as we allow the gospel to change us, it then makes it easier for us to be able to share this message with other people who need a relationship with the living God. That's, that's it. That's the whole point of what we're seeking to do together. And you know, the thought that somehow... Being saved and then shaped to share is kind of intimidating. Uh, the reality is God has specially qualified you. If you're here today and you have a relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ alone, you have been uniquely qualified by God for this purpose. When we began this series, we began by looking at 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 9-12. through 12. And there Peter reminds us of this beautiful truth that we are a chosen race. The word chosen simply means elect or to be selected. And when you take that word and put it in context of the rest of the Bible, what it's saying is this, that each of us has been eternally elected before the foundation of the earth and personally selected by God in order that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God is creating a new humanity. And that new humanity is the people of God. You and me. Us. You don't feel very qualified, do you? And yet God has saved you and put his spirit into your life. He has given you his word and the people of God for this purpose that we can live in such a way as to be a light in a world that is lost in darkness. And this is what we're talking about. And so we've kind of gotten a little bit more granular over the last couple of weeks as to exactly what does that mean? What does it mean to, to proclaim his excellencies? What does it mean to be a light in darkness? What does it mean to be a wonder of God? Well, we've broken it down like this. A couple of weeks ago, <clears throat> we talked about this idea of being a united church in a divided world. Does anybody want to argue with me over the fact that the world's divided? Oh my gosh. Everywhere you look, we see nothing but division and anger and separation and, and, and people just going at each other. People protesting and hating on this group and hating on that group. This is the world we live in. It is divided everywhere you look. And yet, in the midst of a very divided world, there's something very special happening. And what's happening is this. God is calling out individuals. Very different peoples from different backgrounds, from different ethnicities, from different cultures, from different financial backgrounds. And he is bringing them together in this thing called the local church. And with all these varying backgrounds and all these varying ethnicities, all these varying cultures, all these varying differences, he is doing something remarkable. He is bringing unity in diversity. 
I love what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. Listen, thinking about this. There is only one body and one spirit. There is one hope that belongs to your calling. There is only one Lord and one faith and one baptism and one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so we can all come from the various places we come from. With all the differences we have, we can all come together and under the lordship of Jesus Christ, we can say, praise God, amen? When we do this, we show the world something the world just doesn't get. How do different peoples dwell together in unity? In Jesus. It is unity in Christ in a remarkable diversity of peoples. And so our goal as a church is to continue to reflect our community's complexion and uniquenesses in the house of God. So when anybody who walks into this place and looks around and sees such an odd collection of people, yes, you're odd, I'm odd, we're all odd, and yet we all have one heart. What does that? How is it possible to be a multicultural church with unity in a world that doesn't know how to do multiculturalism? It's Jesus it's Jesus. And this is what we're striving to do. We're striving to be unique, different than the world. And one way we do that is by being this uniquely united church in a very divided world. A growing multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multicultural body where our complexion is becoming more like our community. A united church in a divided world. Jesus said, by your love, one for the other, the world will know you are my disciples. And I just want to expand on that thought, not that Jesus' thoughts ever really need expansion upon, but it is by our love for all the peoples of God that they will know we are his disciples. Showing not only individual reconciliation, but God's ability to reconcile very differing peoples together under the lordship and leadership of Jesus Christ. So we're talking about being a light in a dark world. The world doesn't get multiculturalism. The church is supposed to show them how it works. Secondly, last week, we talked about this. Being a very generous church in a very stingy world, it is by our irrational generosity, people will know we are his disciples. It is by our irrational generosity that people will know that we are his disciples. My concern, my concern, is that too much of our evangelical stewardship, as we like to use that term, be a good steward for the Lord, is nothing more than Christianese for fractional living, fractionally different lives than our middle-class unsaved neighbors. Think about what I'm saying. Seriously. We live just like everybody else, except maybe we give a tithe to the church. And somehow that's supposed to stand out in people's minds as mind-blowing. Oh my gosh, you people are so remarkably different. No, no, no. If you're a Redskins fan, you give away 10% of your income to go to the games every week and to hang out in the parking lot and drink, right? Everybody's got their 10% in one way or another. But for us, it's not just by being fractionally different or marginally different than the world. It is by being absolutely broken. Broken um, in our hearts, in compassion, and in our wallets, in open irrational generosity for the needs of others. You know, last week I mentioned to you that Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21, in the parable of the rich fool, that the American, the American dream is spiritually and morally irresponsible for the child of God. And right now you're sitting there thinking, 
wow, that sounds very threatening. That sounds very fearful to me. Well, let me just say this. Worldliness. Worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. Could it be that we are more like our world than we know? And perhaps in a way that doesn't really honor the Lord. So, in the early church, they knew somebody was truly saved by the transformed heart showing a, a, a change in how they handled their money and their possessions. Our world is racist. The church should never be. Our world is, is caught up in greed. The church should never be. We can show a remarkable difference between our new humanity in Christ by embracing different peoples in Jesus' name and by living with irrational generosity towards people with need. That's how we are a light, a true light in our community. Pastor Bill, this is hard stuff. This is hard stuff. Yeah, it is. It really is. But let me just say this. True biblical community is the final apologetic. It is our last and best argument before a lost and skeptical world. If we ever hope to reach our friends and our neighbors and our community with the only message that can save their eternal souls, it will be by living the difference Jesus makes in our lives before them, by being a new humanity. Racism is dealt with. Greed is dealt with, and here we go. Today, we're going to talk about being a truthful church in a very confused world. Wow. Any doubt that the world's confused? People have no clue. We're going to talk more about that. Let's pray together, and from there we shall go. Father, these are, are remarkably tough truths. And I, I just pray, Lord, that you would use your Holy Spirit to bring them to bear in our hearts, that your grace would come with the truth, and that you would help us to move forward in our understanding and then in our lifestyle in these matters. Father, today we're talking about truth in an age that just doesn't want to accept truth. Help us, I pray, to understand what our obligation is and how we can better uh, win people over to Jesus. In Jesus' name. And the people of God said, amen, amen. Y'all look so somber. I'm a little concerned for you. Here we go. A truthful church in a very, very confused world. Truth. A very slippery term in our day, don't you think? Everywhere you turn, everybody's saying, oh, that's false news. This is this. This is this. We have all these terms flying around out there saying that nobody really knows how to tell the truth or live the truth anymore. And, you know, we have this thing called scientific truth. How many are familiar with the uh, scientific method? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's a basic method that says uh, upon... Um, the whole, the whole concept of observability and repeatability, we can measure evidence and have empirical understanding that gives us truth. And so in one form, science has a form of truth that a lot of people can quote-unquote agree on. But when it actually comes to the most important matters of life, not that science isn't important, forgive me, if you're a science teacher or you're in that STEM whole thing, I get that. 
But the real issues in life do not stem from science. They come out of moral and spiritual truth. Because moral truth governs our action and a spiritual truth governs our destiny. So the real issues of life are not necessarily biological or scientific truth. It is moral and spiritual truth. I came across an article uh, in a, when I was preparing for our time today. And uh, it was an article that was written uh, last month, actually now two months ago, now that we're in February. It was written on December the 20th by a, a person or a website called The American Thinker. Notice here we have Uncle Sam, you know, kind of like the thinker, Rodin's thinker, you know. And so here we have Uncle Sam trying to make sense of, of life in America. And he wrote this article called, What is Truth? What is Truth? Good article. I'd recommend you read it. But his introduction sheds light on why people never agree with you on Facebook. Why is it when I confront people with the reality of what is actually true that they just don't get it? Let me show you why. I think he captures it very, very well here. <clears throat> He said, truth has always been accompanied by a double-mindedness. It is something that people claim to want, but few can bear. Socrates searched for it. Jesus bore witness to it. And Pilate answered, albeit rhetorically, what is truth? Now he gives us a basic definition of truth. Truth is seeing things as they really are and ascribing to them their appropriate valuations. Here we go. It is an identity that rises above mere opinion and affirmatively corresponds to a reality that transcends itself. So what he is saying is true truth is a transcendent reality. Jack Nicholson says, you can't handle the truth, while the Son of Man holds that it will set us free. Truth is a lot like virtue. In what most people claim that they desire it, but the general consensus deep down is that they would much rather have, and what's the word? There you go. Why is it nobody wants what I have to tell them? Friends, most people do not want a well-reasoned argument about absolute truth. They want pie. They want pie, which simply means they want their own way. You see, the problem is not an intellectual challenge. The problem is a moral problem. People want what they want, and today people will make up their own truth to validate everything that they want in life. Think about it. Think about it. Take the issue of abortion. It seems so obvious that a baby conceived in the womb is life, doesn't it? I mean, we just had a grandchild. It seems so obvious that a baby in the womb is life. One person said this, that if the amount of life that is found in the womb were found on Mars, we would spend tens of billions of dollars to get there. Why is it we would spend all that money to go to Mars to try and find life when it's in the womb? The reason is because people want to have their own truth. And so I will ignore the reality of what the, the, the sonogram shows me, and I have a new truth, and that is the woman has a right to her own body. Well, where did you get that from? Well, it's what I want. So it's my truth. Your truth's your truth, my truth's my truth. That's how it works in our world. So you can't argue them to that place because the problem's not an intellectual problem. The problem's a moral problem. Uh, here's another one. Um, again, 
um, you, can, you can go into the whole biological debate of an LGBTQ lifestyle. Well, can I just be frank with you? The reason why we have this going on is not an intellectual issue because we know from science that there's only male or female. You're either born one or the other. There is nothing else. And yet people don't want to affirm that because they want what they want. And what they want is an alternative lifestyle. How do we get there? How do we get through this? What is all that? It is not an intellectual problem. Most people really don't want your well-reasoned argument. They want, they want, they want. You know, growing up, we were just like this, weren't we? You know, um, hey, mommy, I don't want to eat those green things. I want blueberry pie. You know, we are all like that. We want what we want, what we want it, and we will make justifications to get what we want. When we grow up, we don't get any different. And the world around us doesn't necessarily want a well-reasoned argument. All they want is pie. And they will make their truth to fit the context of what they want. And so this is the world we live in. I think he's very insightful here, very insightful here. Most people don't want a well-reasoned, transcendent, spiritual, or moral reality. What they really want is pie. And that justifies their desires and lifestyle choices. But, 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 try as we may, there is a transcendent truth that is a very, very stubborn thing. There is a truth that rises above what I want. And if I come up against it, it is to my own harm. Notice how the Apostle Paul described this reality. He said this in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, I want pie will from that flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit, the wonderful, well-reasoned truth that comes from the Word of God, from that Spirit, he will reap eternal life. So what Paul is saying in Galatians chapter 6 is simply this. There are physical laws that govern the universe. Sowing and reaping don't only work in the garden but they also work in life because there are moral laws that govern God's universe. And if we live in opposition to them, again and again and again and again, somebody has said this, you can wear out many hammers on the anvil of God's word and it doesn't change. Many people are butting their heads up against the reality that life isn't working for them. It's not happening the way I want. Why are my dreams not coming true? Why is this like this? Because they are living against the design of the universe that God has put in place. And with that reality comes an opportunity. I want you to hear uh, what a wonderful man of God by the name of Tim Keller said. My small group right now, we're doing this thing called The Reason for God by Tim Keller. Notice how we put living against God's uh, moral truth. Well, the Christian approach to truth is different. 
Right. So when two people say, well, you have your truth, I have my truth, or you have your morality, I have my morality, Christianity would say, truth is reality. I can't, f I can't form it. It's, it's, it's there. So for example, if I've got a, a tree in the middle of the, of the street, uh, truth is that there's a tree in the middle of the street, and I better turn my car uh, to the right or the left. Mm -hmm. If I say, well, what, ma what really matters to me is that you know, I don't want to feel there's a tree there, or it, you know, that's not meaningful to me, then the tree will kill you because you'll just go right into the tree. Uh, now, I think most people believe at the physical level that some things are true and some things are false. Whereas, I think when it comes to the moral and the spiritual, people say, well, it's up to you to decide what is right or wrong for you. Christianity says there's more uh, cohesion between the physical and the spiritual realm and says that you do need to forgive, you do need to love, and these things are, if you, if you hate or if you don't forgive, and you do need God, and if you don't have God, then it's like uh, running into a tree because there's something about your nature that needs these things, and if you don't have it, you, you're out of accord with your nature. So the Christian, the Christian approach to truth is, is somewhat different. It's not you have your claim, we have our claim. But does it, does it also... Well, she looked ready to jump, didn't she? <laughs> I have something I want to say, and by the way, she does say it, and it's in the video, so if you want to know more about that, go there. But what I want to show you is an opportunity that awaits us, an opportunity in light of the world we live in, an opportunity in light of the, the wonderful truth God has given us, and it's this. Most people don't really care if there's some well-reasoned, transcendent, spiritual, or moral reality. All they want is pie. But... When the moral and spiritual body count rises as they hit the tree trunk of the word of God with their lives, as more and more lives careen out of control, as more and more people realize the pie of their own desires contains cyanide, the more apt they are to consider a different version of life, a life that comes from the Creator the best version of life that we who have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light are called to live before them. And so the reality becomes to win the argument of truth is not to have the best argument. It is to have the best life. Truth is not a battle we win merely by making a better argument. It is a battle we win by living a better life. This is what people need. It is only when they come up against the truth of life and it's not working out for them that they're looking around for other solutions, and we have it. And the question is, are we living it enough for them to say, I want what you've got because something's not working out in my life, and I need what you seem to have. And what we found is Jesus. Jesus. So... I hope this will curtail some Facebook uh, agitations, realizing that you will never win those arguments. You're only causing people to become embedded in their own positions. It is not by winning the argument that way. It is by winning the argument of life. If you can outlive them, and I mean that in this way, if you can outlive them, that's what will capture their hearts and their minds. So we're going to push forward in this idea of biblical truth and how we can ultimately win this battle for truth, not just by having the better argument, but by living a better life. Here we go. It must begin 
with knowing the truth. We must know the truth. It is impossible to have a biblical uh, worldview without knowing the Bible. You can say amen. All right, there we go. Okay, let me try that one more time to make sure we get this good. Okay, it is impossible to live with a biblical worldview if you do not know the Bible. All right. By the way, somebody one time said, if you ever want to get rid of your pastor, this is how you do it. You say amen and preach it, and he will preach himself to death, okay? So give me a little fodder here, and we'll make it through this. Amen. It is by knowing the truth that we can ultimately be set free according to Jesus. Now I want to give you a wonderful biblical term, a wonderful doctrine. Here we go. And it, it helps you to really understand and appreciate just how important this book is. And it is the word Sola Scriptura. Sola Scriptura is Latin for only the Bible, only the Scriptures. Now, the doctrinal truth behind it is this simple statement. The Scriptures alone, the Scriptures alone, contained in the 66 books that make up the Old and the New Testament, are the only authoritative and infallible rule for faith and practice. Sola Scriptura. Now, we as believers believe that all truth is ultimately God's truth, no matter where it may be found. But when it comes to the issue of spiritual truth, faith, when it comes to the issue of moral truth, practice, this is the only authoritative and infallible rule of faith and practice. That's what makes this book so valuable. That's what makes this book so ultimately important for our lives. There is no way that we can live with a biblical worldview in a world that has gone crazy, mad, I think was the word, unless we are grounded in the Scriptures. So it is important that we must know the truth. Let me explain to you a few ways in which this is spiritual truth, in, you know, if you will, concerning faith, spiritual truth. <clears throat> here we go. This is only from the Scripture. The only place you will ever find this evidence is here. Number one, there is only one God. Good chance to say amen. There is only one God, and he has chosen to reveal himself in the scriptures, the 66 books which make up the Old and New Testament, that we happen to possess. And we know this God to be holy, which means he's completely other and different from the creation which he made. He is holy. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is everywhere present in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The blessed unity of the Trinity. There is only one God. And we know that because of this. You don't find that anywhere else. Everybody wants to talk about, oh, they have their own God and they do this own thing. I'm sorry. There's only one authoritative source that's infallible, and it's here. And it says, there's only that one God. We know that from the Scriptures. We don't only know that from the Scriptures, and I think this is so important in light of the day and age in which we live. There is not only just one God, and we know that from the Scriptures, but there is only one true story of the world. There is only one true story of the world, the creation of the world. Where do we come from? The, the, the corruption of the world. Why are things like they are? The redemption of the world. What is going on? And the consummation of all things. 
We know the meta-narrative of the creation and the reason for the world that takes up all the strands of reality we see playing out in this world. How do you make sense of it all? There's only one story that makes sense of it all, and that is the story of the Bible. There is only one story that makes it all sensible, and it comes to you from the Scriptures. We could not know it any other way. See how precious this book is, how important it is to our hearts and to our lives. There is only one true God. We know that from here. There is only one true story of the world. We know that from here. Let me give you an opportunity that might help you in this whole area of gaining an understanding uh, of, of the creation in particular. There is coming up something that I discovered <clears throat> called, Is Genesis History? Is Genesis History? And if you go to isgenesishistory.com, you will discover that there are some very good filmmakers who put together a powerful documentary that was a one-night event that's actually going to be in local theaters. Only one night. And it happens on Thursday, February 23rd. This comes from the people who gave us the Truth Project from Focus on the Family Trees. This is an opportunity as they go around the world engaging various people who deal with the issue of, of the past, trying to make sense of it. And it will be a profound step forward in your biblical understanding of how things came to be. So I want to encourage you, if you go to isgenesishistory.com, they'll have a place for you to put in your uh, zip code, and they'll tell you what local theaters are actually hosting this. I know they're in California, and I know they're down here in Alexandria. Nothing immediately local yet. But I want to encourage you, take advantage of this. Because there's only one true God. Sola Scriptura, there's only one true God. Sola Scriptura, there's only one true story of history. Just as there is only one truth about the purpose of life. Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? What, how do I make sense of all this? You were created to glorify God. That's it. That's it. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, whether you eat or whether you drink or no matter whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. All things will ultimately be to the praise of the glory of His grace. That's the purpose of life. Sola Scriptura. You don't know that anywhere but here. Oh, how important this is. How vital it is to understand there's only one true God. There is only one true story of the world. There's only one true story about the purpose of life. And friends, there's only one truth about salvation. There's only one truth about salvation. It is by grace alone. Through repentance and faith alone. In the person of Jesus Christ alone. That is the only way to come to the Father by being born again as a child of God. We are reminded in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, these very important words. He saved us not because of the righteous things we have done. We're not saved by our good works. Most of the world believes that. My good works, my bad works, God will have to accept me. No, it doesn't work like that. We've offended him eternally. And there's only one way to find a fulfillment for that offense, and that's in the person of Jesus Christ who bore the wrath of God for us. <clears throat> there is only one true God. There's only one true story of the world. There's only one truth about life. There's only one truth about salvation. And there's only one truth about eternity. Everyone will endure forever. 
either in eternal bliss or in eternal punishment, what you do with Jesus determines which it will be for you. All of that, all of that comes from sola scriptura, the only infallible and authoritative uh, rule of faith and practice. So that's dealing with faith, the issue of spiritual truths. But it also is meant to touch upon practice, the moral truth of the Word of God. Notice with me, I love these Psalms. Psalm 19, and verse, uh, verses 7 through 11. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to hold up the Bible as it talks about it, and then I want you to say a certain word, like perfect or sure or right or pure, and then I want to show you how the Word of God changes you. Okay, here we go. Let's see how we do. The law of the Lord, of Yahweh, is? It's what? Yes, and it will revive your soul. Oh my gosh, doesn't that sound good? The testimony of the Lord is? Making wise the simple. How do I know about life? How do I figure things out? It's here. It's here. The precepts of the Lord are? Yes, and they rejoice the heart. The commandment of the Lord is? Enlightening the eyes. I like this one. The fear of the Lord. Ever heard the word of God called the fear of the Lord? Oh, man, the fear of the Lord is what? Oh, man, it endures forever. The rules of the Lord are? It's the only truth, spiritually and morally, that's authoritative and infallible. And, do, 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 and righteous altogether, they are more to be desired than gold. Even much fine gold, sweeter than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant, that's the position we take under the word of God. We are a servant to the word because it's the Father who speaks. Your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is what? A life that's worth living and eternity in his presence. That's what you get through the word. The word will ultimately change our lives. That's God's purpose. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God, the woman of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. Ooh, all right. Hubba hubba, where's the time? There we go. <clears throat> What I'd like to do right now, uh, before we talk a little bit more about this whole idea of living out the truth, of, of how we are to live to please the Lord through the Word, how this book alone reveals how to live the best version of humanity and community and before our outer community, I, I want to give you some more resources, some more resources that can encourage you and help you in having a biblical worldview. Here we go. The first resource I want to encourage you to take a hold of uh, is simply this. The Bible in one year. The one year Bible. We have been encouraging people to join us on the journey through the scriptures. The entire Bible in one year. It takes about 15, 20 minutes a day to listen through or, or read through uh, certain portions of scripture. Today was my opportunity to do the devotion. We're doing a devotion every single day. Courtney, myself, Dennis, and others to help encourage you through this reading. If you want to know where the devotions are found, go to gracewaldorf.org, look on the page, and it says click here for the devotion. That will take you to this place where the devotions are found, or open up the Grace Church app, and in there, under Bible and Prayer, you will find that there is this as well. I had a chance today to share from Psalm 29. And in Psalm 29, there's beautiful truth there that when you see it, as I show it to you, it'll knock your socks off. 
I'll leave that there. I was tempted, though, out of Exodus to talk about how to treat the foreigner and the alien you find in your midst. We're talking about refugees today. Scriptures are not silent on these matters. I chose not to go there. I went with Psalm 29. So, so the one-year Bible, I want to encourage you to join us on this journey because you know what I've discovered? You cannot have a biblical worldview if you're not in the... Oh, bingo. We're doing it. Yeah, we're getting there. Here we go. Another resource I want to give you is the Gospel Project. The Gospel Project meets at 5 o'clock on Sunday nights in the educational wing of this building. If you go into the school's entrance, you will go into the stairwell and go upstairs. They are meeting in a room up there at 5 o'clock. The Gospel Project is designed to take you through 99 areas of doctrine to give you the meta themes throughout the Scripture, and it's going to focus on the person of Jesus Christ from the Old Testament and the New Testament. It, the class is growing there are more and more people connecting. I, I think Rico has told me recently, Bill, we're busting at our seams. We need to have another room. We're going to find you another room, Rico. But they're open to having more people join them on the journey. If you want to know the scriptures, if you want to understand the plan of God, join this group of folk. And just recently, someone in that class understood who Jesus was for the very first time and embrace that person, the beautiful person of Jesus, with their life. And so I want to encourage you, get on the Bible reading schedule, get in the Gospel Project. These are resources that are designed to get a biblical worldview. Okay, here we go. I want to introduce you to a wonderful man of God. His name is Albert Moeller. AlbertMoeller.com, you will find this thing called The Briefing. Every weekday, he gives a 15 to 20 minute briefing synthesizing the scriptural truth and applying it against the realities that we face every single day. He did one recently on the refugee crisis. He talked about the issue of the country issuing um, um, to not let certain people groups in. He dealt with that from a biblical framework. Very thoughtful, very powerful. I want to encourage you, make this a resource as you start to think biblically. Um, let me give you another resource desiringgod.org. I love this man. His name is John Piper. He is to my heart what John MacArthur is to my head. John MacArthur is one of the most cogent Bible expositors you'll ever find, but this man's in love with Jesus in a way that just lights me up. And so I want to encourage you, this man interacts with the scriptures and the realities going on in our daily lives, and he has lots of articles there for you to read and things for you to, to consider. And then one more, and I did this for Courtney's sake, um, jdgreer.com. J.D. is a pastor down in North Carolina, a very good thinker, and he likewise puts many articles on his websites along with short video clips to explain the challenges of the day we live in and bring the Bible's teaching against it. So if you want a growing biblical framework out of which to operate, let me give you these resources. Let's walk through the scriptures together in the Bible reading. Let, let's take up the gospel project. Let's, let's consider some of these truths and talk about them and interact around them. That's how we grow in this knowledge. So, we must know the truth. Say that with me. We must know One more time. Why? It's one thing to know it, but there's a reason for knowing it. And the reason to know it is so we can live the truth. This is the point. This is the point. You see, if you simply know it, but you don't live it, what's that called? 
Yeah, it's a hypocrite. Let me ask you, how many more hypocrites does the world need right now? None. None. What the world needs is a thoroughgoing Christian who knows the truth and is seeking to live it out to honor God. None of us does it perfectly. We all fail, but in failing, we repent, we confess, we find forgiveness, and we move on. We continue to grow. So the whole point to know the truth, sola scriptura, is so that we would go on to actually live out the truth in our lives. This is at the very heart of the purpose of Jesus Christ for our lives, and it is the reason for this thing called the church. Notice with me what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, the risen Lord Jesus, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, go and make disciples of all nations. There's the key to make disciples. And you're going to do that by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then you're going to teach them to observe all things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the very end of the age. To make disciples. This is the local church charter given to us by Jesus Christ. A disciple is a student, a pupil, or a learner. But more than that, a disciple is a follower and an imitator one who observes and keeps and lives out all that Jesus has commanded us. You see, the goal is to teach them to observe. Not just teach them all that I've commanded you, but teach them to observe it, to live it out. Everything I've commanded you. That's what the church is for. That's why you're here today. That's what we're seeking to do even now as I give forth biblical truth. Is you're engaging with this. Maybe you're getting new categories of understanding. Some of you, this is old stuff. But hopefully, as Peter said, I'm stirring up your pure minds by way of remembrance. And so what we're doing is we're growing together in the scriptures. <clears throat> now, I did something really funky. It was fun. And so I got to give it to you. Um, I'm running out of time, but I still want to give it to you. What I did was I took the Ten Commandments. I didn't break them. No, no, I'm just kidding. I took the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20, and then I took 38 separate commands of Jesus found in the Gospels. Remember, we're supposed to teach people to observe all that Jesus commanded us. So I took the Ten Commandments, which is the moral law of God, and then to that I encompassed the 38 separate commands that are found from Jesus' lips in the Gospels. And then I took all this information, all these words, and I plugged them into a, sound, uh, a word cloud. Do you know what a word cloud is? A word cloud is, is an engine that you put information into, all these commands. And what it will do is it will generate a cloud of words. And it will make some words bigger and some words smaller depending on their frequency. So I took the 38 commands of Jesus, and I took the 10 commandments... And I plugged him into the SoundCloud, and I want you to see what happened. It actually took me aback, but it shouldn't have. Let me show you. Here is the result. Now remember, the more often, the more frequent a word, the bigger it is, is on the page. And so what I want you to notice is that's pretty big. This is huge, especially when you add capital G, little o, little d to capital G-O-D. That's huge. And then the next biggest word, or the, one of the largest words, is what? 
Do you see what happened? 38 commands of Jesus and the Ten Commandments, and it boils down to love God and love. Should that have surprised me? No. Because Jesus put it this way. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second one is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. Funny how that works out. Jesus said this, I want you to love God. And I want you to love people. There's your assignment. Amen. Amen. All the commands of Christ, all the Old Testament laws and regulations, and it all boils down to this. Love. Love. Love is not just a squishy emotion. Love is a willingness to sacrifice what you would want for yourself for the sake of another. And so in loving God, we are willing to put ourselves under God and to serve him and to do what he wants in our lives. And in order to love people, we have to put ourselves under people and to serve them even to our own hurt. That's how you do this thing called living out the commands of Christ. Love. It all comes back to love. You see, you will know how well you are doing in becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ by your love for God and your love for people. Christian maturity is summed up in that one word, love. Now, I do not have time to tackle everything else, but I've got a ton of stuff I have to push through, so you're going to look at it and wonder. Just wonder away, because I have to push through it. So actually, I took the commands found in the Gospels, and then I saw how the epistles epistles actually play it out into the life of the church. And it's very interesting. What does love look like in the context of the local church? Well, I'm just going to rifle through these. It looks like greeting one another, receiving one another, accepting one another, encouraging one another, being devoted to one another, passionate with one another, being kind and forgiving one another, being at peace with one another, caring for one another, comforting one another, rejoicing and weeping with one another, serving one another, esteeming others better than yourself, submitting to one another, praying for one another, confessing your faults to one another, admonishing one another, being truthful with one another, all for the goal to build up one another to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. You take the commands of Christ and you see how they played out love people in the context of the local church, and that's what it looks like. Let me ask you this. If this were going on here, and I know a lot of it is, but if we could do it even better, and somebody were to walk in from outside, and they were to walk in here, and they would see people honestly greeting and receiving and embracing and accepting and to give courage to one another, being devoted to each other, being compassionate, uh, caring for one another, comforting one another, rejoicing with us, serving one another, submitting to one another, praying for one another, admonishing one another. Wow. 
I've never seen anything like that before. My family wasn't like this. My workplace isn't like this, and the gang I hang out with at the bar and other places, they're not like this. There's something different. And what is different is we are being this new humanity on earth, living out loving God and loving people. And it's winsome. It's so powerful, so powerful. And I have to keep moving. <clears throat> All right, I, I got to... Don't even look at this. This is a series we're doing after this one. I was going to say something here, but I don't have time, so just live with it. All right. That's what they call a teaser. (laughs) We must know the truth so that we can live the truth. So we can share the truth, which is the love of God, the message of the gospel with others. Friends, that's what it comes down to. That's what it comes down to. Truth is not a battle we merely win by making a better argument. It is a battle we win by living a better life. 